Hey everybody, my name's Paige and I am the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barberton. We are so glad you're listening to our Sunday service podcast. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are so encouraged, challenged, and energized by what you hear. Let's jump into our new series, Follow Me, A Journey Through Luke. I want to start with this question. I want to start with this question. Do you live in a judgment-free zone? Do you live in a judgment-free zone? For some of you, right, you're already going to your personal experience, and you're like, no way, right? Some of you maybe are going to others' experiences, and you're like, I just watched the world around me, and there's like, no way that I live in a judgment-free zone. Some of you connected the dots, right? And you thought of Planet Fitness, right? Because some of you have memberships to Planet Fitness, right? Judgment-free zone at Planet Fitness is exactly where it's at, right? That's where I got it, right? Because when you go to Planet Fitness, which I used to have a membership at, right? The judgment-free zone was the tagline, It was the thing, right? They have all over the building, right, stamped everywhere. It's a judgment-free zone. There's even even, uh, stamped across the building, no critics, right? You belong. Like all of these phrases that make you feel welcome to jump in. And why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Because they're trying to create a gym for everyone to be welcome to. Right? Whether you work out all the time and you're an athlete and you need to be in the gym or you're someone just getting started and you want to jump into working out, right? There is no intimidation at Planet Fitness is what they would say and they want you to jump into that. But I think it's interesting, right? Because I actually think what Planet Fitness is doing is a bigger version of what our world is trying to figure out. Because what Planet Fitness is crying out for is what every single one of us is crying out for, the judgment-free zone. That I can walk into spaces, I can walk into my family gatherings, I can walk into my friendships, I can walk into the school building. If you're in middle school and high school, this is a relevant conversation. I can walk into my workplace, I can walk into my marriage, I can walk into my house and have a judgment-free zone. Not feel judged, not be judged, and be able to live life, right? Jesus, in Luke 6, actually speaks to this judgment-free zone. This is what he would say. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And I pondered this this week, right? All over Planet Fitness, judgment-free zone, right? And I started to ask myself, is Jesus' command being played out better at Planet Fitness than by his followers? I just, I just processed it. I'm not saying one way or another, right? Because it's as much relevant for me as it is for anybody else. Because here's the reality. I think we see that, we long for it, we want it, but it's really hard to know how to live in that. Everybody's crying out for it, but what does it mean? He desires it, but what does it look like? He's yearning for it, but how do I even experience that to be able to give it to someone else? What we're going to jump into today is this, that Jesus, I think, is running into a very relevant, unique, challenging conversation where he might say this, a judgment-free zone is merciful, not critical. 
And we're going to launch into that and see what does he mean by that. We're in this series, like I said, called Follow Me. And inside of this series, we're looking at the ultra-famous uh, ultra famous invitation that Jesus gives to each and every one of us, but really gave to his first disciples. That's where we read it first, right? He's walking around, and he's saying, follow me, follow me, be a part of what I am doing. And so we're walking through this series for two reasons. One is, if it's Jesus' most famous invitation, we better see what it is all about. But secondly, if I were to be honest, sometimes I hear, follow me, and the question I have after that is, what does that mean today? What does that look like today? Does it mean to be good, to be better, to do good? Does it mean to go into ministry? Like, what does that mean for me? In this entire series, we've been saying this, that follow me is not just an activity, it is an identity to be embraced. Because once I embrace the invitation of what Jesus is inviting me into, activity will follow out of that. I will start to live out of what he's inviting me into when he says, follow me. Because who you follow tends to be who you become. Who you are around, right? You can talk about this with friendships. You can talk about this with family. You can talk about this in all sorts of realms. Tends to be who you become. And that's what we're looking at throughout this entire series. Now, if you've missed any weeks in the series, I'd invite you to take a look back on our website. They're all there uh, and would be really helpful to know where we've been and how we've been trekking through this series. But today, this is what we're going to look at. Following Jesus is judgment-free and mercy-full. Following Jesus is judgment-free and mercy-full. Luke 6 is where we're going to be. We're going to be right in that passage Verse 37 is where you can turn your Bibles. It'll all be on the screen. To get you kind of an idea where we've been, Jesus inside of this passage in particular, in the last couple, there's kind of been a turning point. Jesus has been walking around. He's inviting, right? We saw him invite Matthew to follow him. We saw him invite Peter to follow him, right? He's inviting these guys and men and women to follow him and to learn from him and to glean from him and to be with him, right? And all this happens. And then we see kind of a transition in Luke 6. So a couple weeks ago, we saw this transition where Jesus starts to teach them, Right? He gets this gathering of people that all come to see Jesus. He heals people, right? He's doing miracles. And then he turns to his disciples and he has this conversation with them. And scholars often call it the Sermon on the Plain, right? Instead of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain. And what Jesus does is he turns our idea of what it means to live on this earth upside down. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's introducing to us a different kind of kingdom, his kingdom, and what it looks like to actually follow him. If I am following Jesus, then my life is going to look this way. I thought Charles did a great job last week at kind of introducing a really hard topic, loving your enemies, right? Things like that. What does it mean to do that? And Jesus goes right into it. Because what Jesus did for us looks very different than how I often, in my human nature, wants to do towards others. And he teaches us that. Now, we're going to be in Luke 6, verse 37 and on. But I think we would miss something if we didn't start in verse 36. 
So we're going to start in verse 36, and then we're going to let it play out the rest of that passage. So Luke 6, 36. As Jesus is inviting them to follow him, he's describing what it looks like. This is at the end of last week's passage that we looked at, loving your enemies. This is what Jesus said, be merciful just as your father in heaven is merciful. Here's the reality. I don't think do not judge and do not condemn hold any weight without mercy involved. I do not think do not judge and do not condemn hold any weight without mercy involved in us understanding the picture of mercy. I was reading this, right? We're going like passage by passage. We're doing a little bit verse by verse here. And, and what I found is this, right? We often read section by section. They didn't write that way. And I think if we lose sight of this verse, we miss the power of the passage and the section that we will be in inside of today. Because Jesus says, be merciful as my Father in heaven is merciful. He is saying this, that God, our Father, is merciful towards us. Where would he get that from? Exodus 34 is a great place to start. Exodus 34, verse 6, this is what... This is what we see. Moses has this interaction with God. God presents himself to Moses and verbally shares with Moses who he is. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord. Right? That's his name. We've looked at a series before where we've talked about this passage. His name is Yahweh, the Lord. I am who I am. He says this, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And what we see here is this, that mercy is not some concept that is out in the middle of nowhere that we're trying to grab a hold of. Mercy is not just something that, that God is trying to garner up inside of him. His first introduction to who he is, is that he is compassionate and merciful and gracious towards us. It says, this is my name, and how you know that is because in the innermost being, this is who I am. Because mercy, and what we see God displaying in mercy, is he's pointing us to something better. It changes us. It makes us new. And it is all based in his character and who he is and how he has approached us. The heart of God is to lavish mercy onto us. That, that's what I love about this passage God doesn't, doesn't say I'm distant, uninvolved, or I'm, I'm, I'm tolerant, we can just kind of do whatever. He's like, I'm present, and what I want you to know is I am merciful, gracious, compassionate. That is my heart. What we see later on is this, that in that passage in verse 7, we also see that God, who is a holy God, he is set apart, is also just. Our God is just, that he holds righteousness to the forefront, that he will one day make everything right, that one day he will make everything clean, he will one day make all that is evil good. And our God, who is just, is so just that he would present us with mercy instead of the fullness of his justice. That the reality is this, right? Jesus died on the cross so that we could experience the Father's mercy. And one day, we will see God's justice come in full. We will. We'll see everything that is wrong turned right side up, and yet he is patient with us, 
offering us this mercy. I heard mercy defined this way. Mercy is love running into misery. Mercy is love running into misery. Right? And misery, right, biblically we would define that as sin. Whether that is sin you're living into or other sin that's impacting you. You and I live in a world that is full of misery. And instead of looking at us and pushing us to the side, instead of looking at us and shoving us away, he decided to run into it and get messy with it by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus came into this world ultimately so that we could be forgiven. Mercy decides to get messy. It doesn't excuse it, but instead forgives it. I remember I was in college and I got my first big boy job, right? In high school, I had all these jobs with family friends. And I applied to work at the rec center at the school that I was at. I was in there, got through the interview process. They offered me the job, which was a miracle in and of itself. And I got hired. And the first thing that we had to do was meet with our supervisor. And they scheduled a time for me to go meet with my supervisor. And I'm in college and the first week starts. And within that first week, I had a scheduled time to meet with this supervisor. I'm going about my day and all of a sudden I get this phone call from a a number that I don't know. And I pick it up and I answer it and I say, hello? He says, is this Joel? I'm like, yes, it is. He's like, you and I are supposed to be meeting right now. This is your supervisor at the rec center. And my heart about sunk, right? I was like, crap. I'm done for, right? And I remember just thinking in that moment, I'm like, what do I do? What do I say? How do I do this, right? And he said, it's okay. He's like, don't do that again, right? He's like, that's not a practice that you want to keep doing. And we can reschedule so that we can meet, do all that we need to do, and you can start working. We rescheduled. And in that moment, I learned the calendar in your phone and how it works, right? From that day on, I've used my calendar uh, religiously because of that moment, right? But here's the reality. Here's the reality. That was a miserable moment for me. This is just a miserable moment, and yet my supervisor had mercy on me. He could have very easily, very easily said, you know what, dude? I've dealt with freshmen in college before. I'm not going to deal with it again. You're fired. Or he could have been like, you know what? We're going to make this a bunch of hoops to jump through so that you can't work the first semester or whatever it may be, right? He could have justfully kind of ridden me off, pushed me to the side, fired me. Instead, he had mercy. What he did is he lavished love inside of that misery, and he forgave me. And he forgave me, not just excusing, right? He, he very clearly said, don't do that again. And then he also pointed to better. Mercy is running into someone's misery and offering them something better, offering something they don't know they're missing, offering them something that changes them completely. And that's why God, our Father, sent Jesus onto this earth. Jesus was sent to display the heart of God and ultimately die for us. Jesus came to free us from that misery. He came to lavish mercy on us, save us, and invite us into something better, something that isn't miserable, something that isn't going to take away our life, something that is worth living for, and that is what it means to follow him. 
is to embrace the invitation that he's come for us inside of the misery, inside of the mess, and to jump into what he has for us because he saved us. He didn't dismiss what is going on back here. He says, I've got something new for you, and I want you to follow me into something better. This is what we see in John 3, famous passage. I'm going to skip the most famous verse, but in verse 17 and 18, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus did not come to condemn us. Although as the son of God, he had every right to. He had every right to. He has the power to. He had the status to. He had the position to. He had every right to come into this earth and look at the misery and say, what a mess you've made this. I'm going to finish it for you. And yet he didn't. The son of God, often he referred to himself as the son of man, came into the mess, into the misery, into the world that is plagued by sin. And he himself took the position of a lowly, gentle, humble servant to ultimately offer us something that you and I could not do ourselves. We cannot pick ourselves out of the misery. And in doing so, on a turn, on the flip of its head, he used his power, his status, and his position to save us instead of condemn us. The holy one of the ages came into the world to use his holiness not to destroy us, but to make us new. That he offered us something different. Love running into misery. And mercy beckons us to recognize that. Mercy beckons us to recognize the misery that you and I are living in, in our sin. I have this reality. He's like, I've come to save. Those that don't believe in me, those that don't trust in me, those that don't give their life to me, they're already condemned because of the misery they're living in. They're already blinded. They're already going that way. But when you recognize because of the mercy that I've offered you, the misery you're living in, and you turn and you follow me, you are offered new life. And new life that comes with a better plan for life. And I'm offering that to you freely. It's by faith. You don't have to like figure your misery out and then come to me. He's like, I actually want to change you radically. So just bring the mess and just go, and I'll offer you something new. Because the misery is hard to hide. And he said, I've been here to do this for you. So today, it starts by recognizing, have I said yes to Jesus or not? Right? Do, do not judge. Do not condemn. We'll get to this in a moment. It's really easy to verbalize and say, I like that verse. And say, I, I really want that verse to play out in our world. I wish more people were like that. We often can identify ourselves as that, right? I kind of like that verse. I'm not, I don't judge. I don't condemn. I just kind of, but here's reality. You realize that you do not stand judged or condemned when you say yes to Jesus. You and I, in our misery, in our sin, we stand condemned. There is something there that is unpleasant to God. We're walking this way instead of walking towards him. We're deciding to do our own thing instead of doing his thing. We're deciding to be our own God instead of trusting in the one and only God. 
and his mercy is extending to you. You realize this? Jesus decided to take the judgment that you and I deserve so that we could have the mercy of God and live the life that we don't deserve following after him. Here's the reality. Some of us walk in here today and we live life based on the fear of being judged by God. You just do. Whether you're newer to church, newer to Jesus, newer to grace, whatever it may be, you're walking in and you're like, I'm trying to just do my best so that I don't disappoint him. I'm trying to just figure out what to do so that I don't mess up. I'm just trying to figure out so I don't get the wrath of God poured onto me. Others of you, you've been here for a while. You've been in church maybe your whole life. And this is the way that you're living. Well, if I come to church every Sunday, if I do the groups, if I do the studies, if I have everything in place, maybe I will be presentable to the God of the universe. God's like, stop! My mercy is enough. What Jesus did on the cross is enough. Because the reality is this. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for a show. He died on the cross to save us. And he stood on that cross. He hung on that cross. And he took the identity of us sinners so that we could take his identity as a son. That he stand judged and condemned and he fought the fight for us to experience freedom. And for some of us, we walk in here and we're trying to lift ourselves out of this misery because I don't want to experience that what we're trying, to, we're trying to figure out, how do I attain life and how do I get to heaven? I'm just scared of hell and I just don't want to go there. We're living life trying to figure that out and God is just pleading with you to experience his mercy through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I've heard it said this way by a man named Dan Ortlands. This is what he would say. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place keep you cold toward him in the wake of it. But I wonder if we misunderstand God's heart. We're scared to run into him because he doesn't know me. He's not sure what I've done. It's pretty messy back there. The misery's pretty ugly. What God's saying is, I'm compassionate, merciful, I'm gracious. And Jesus took your place on the cross. Maybe the reason you're trying to cover it up is because you don't trust his heart and trust the work of Jesus and trust what he's done on the cross for each and every one of us. For others of us, right, we've been judged by others. And saying yes to Jesus is hard because you've had others around you, whether they're church. Maybe they're not churched. Maybe they call themselves Christians. Maybe they don't, but you've been judged. And you're like, I'm not sure I trust anybody. I'm not sure that I want to trust anybody. The God of the universe is saying, I've sent my one and only son so that you could experience mercy instead of judgment. You could experience salvation instead of condemnation. For some of us, that's where we sit, is we're sitting in our misery, and maybe some of us were trying to make it better. Maybe some of us were just like, who cares? This sin, the sin of the world, 
And God is saying, bring it to me. Put it in front of me. Believe in Jesus. Jesus saved you from that. And let's start to live out of that towards something better, which is following after him. Now, for some of us, that's the application. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to the mercy and grace. Say yes. Have faith. Believe. Trust in him. Come to him in the midst of that. But Jesus says something interesting in that verse 36, right? We're not even to the main passage. He says, be merciful as your father has been merciful to you. What does it mean to be merciful? Well, I think that's where we get our passage. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, and be generous. And that is where we're going to go the rest of the time. This is what Jesus would say, Luke 6, 37, 38. Right after he says, be merciful for your Father in heaven has been merciful to you. Do not judge then, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. First thing I would say underneath of this is, following Jesus is judgment-free. That's what he's saying. Following Jesus is judgment-free. He's saying, if you want to play that game, expect the amount that you judge with or the stipulations you judge with to be poured on to you. Right? Following Jesus looks very different than what our world would present to us. It's very easy to walk around. and we have, we have different windows that we look through. Our world has different windows of they're making it, they're not. They're doing it right, they're not. They must have it all together, they don't. And we usually play the game based off of that. My friends are, how I interact with, what part of the city I go to, what part of the community I hang out with, who I call my friends, because that's how we view the world often. The reality is this, it's so easy to live in a judgment-full life, a judgment-filled life, and it is so easy because of pride. It is so easy because of pride. Pride keeps me, first and foremost, from experiencing God's mercy. Pride, which some authors and scholars would say is the root of all sin. Pride tells me that I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I can be my own person, my own God, and I can live out of that. And so God's mercy in the wake of pride can look detestable. I don't need no mercy to save me. I've got this figured out. But it starts there. Pride keeps me from experiencing God's mercy, and it also keeps me from lavishing mercy onto others. Others are distant. Others become out there. Others become distant because they're not good for my reputation, my image, or my appearance. Because I got to maintain something here inside of me. Pride leads to judgment, creates those barriers that oftentimes are external measures without getting to the heart, right? And judgment can look a whole different slew of ways. Judgment according to appearance. Judgment according to appearance, right? A really, really, really tense one. It's a big one. Our world's grappling with a lot of these things. Judgment according to appearance racially, ethnically, been a thing our country has struggled with. 
where we can have preconceived notions, where we can have preconceived uh, uh, thoughts, or we can have preconceived opinions just based on how someone looks or maybe where they're born or the color of their skin. That's deeply unfair. You can do appearance based on socioeconomics. This goes both ways. Someone is fancy-pantsy, got the suit and tie. We can make preconceived judgments on what they're doing with life and how they're living. Same with someone that just can't make it, doesn't have the car, doesn't have the stuff, doesn't have it all put together. Right? We can do this across genders. We can do this across generations based on pure appearance. That's why I love Grace Church's value of next generation. We value next generation. Right? When you look at the next generation, we should see first and foremost, they're a gift. They're a gift, a joy, and that ultimately they are a part of God's plan, right? I could struggle with this sometimes too, right? You're like, why are they doing that? My kids are doing this or that. I'm like, why are they doing that? You're just being a kid, right? Oh my gosh, right? We can have judgment across appearance and it usually is derived from pride. I'm better. I got figured out. I do me, right? We can do judgment not just across or according to appearance, but according to speculation. You ever done that? Oh man, this is a brutal one, right? I can judge according to speculation what their house looks like, what their car looks like, what that fight in the grocery store looks like, right? I can judge according to that. I got mixed up in this, and I won't go too detailed into the story, but uh, we live in a neighborhood that uh, we've gotten to know a lot of people in, but obviously there's some people we haven't gotten to know yet, and there's a specific house that's around us that has an appearance, right, that you would maybe look and say, I'm not so sure they have it all together. Maybe there's some sketchy things that we have experienced uh, around that house, whatever you may say, right? But that, that house in particular, I keep my eye on. And then this week, and I don't think it's coincidence that God does these things, but this week, uh, I got a chance to look out my back window, which is like the biggest window in our whole house, right, of course. And um, I'm looking, and I notice that uh, this family is rolling uh, an elderly person, I assume, out of the house in a wheelchair, looks like in hospital gowns per se, into the car, mustering enough energy to get them into the car to go to, I assume, a doctor's appointment. I speculated everything based on appearance, based on what I saw in their yard, based on the activity. I don't know the full story. God actually got me to meet one of the family members that lives there this week. I'm like, changed everything. It was pride. My house looks great. My yard looks fine. I got everything figured out. Oh, but them, right? I don't know what's going on in their house. I, I don't know. Maybe they need help. Certainly, maybe they need Jesus. Not just there, right? We can have judgment according to thinking the worst. You see them in the worst, you think the worst. Like, oh, did you see that? I'm not so sure about them. Judgment according to preference, right? All of this is based in pride. And here's the reality. When we don't first allow God's mercy to challenge and change our hearts, we'll never be able to extend it. I am judgmental when I forget what Jesus has done for me. When I forget what Jesus has done for me and I start to judge according to how Joel wants to judge, it's almost like Jesus is like, you really want to go there? 
Because if you want to judge that way, just be prepared. That is exactly how you'll be judged. It's almost like get a taste of your own medicine. Right? And there's so many times where I have had those thoughts and then I'm like, well, I haven't done that well. I'm like, I've done that better. But here's also the reality. Following Jesus is judgment-free, right? We often, often go to the worst. We often go to speculation, appearance, preference, built-in pride, whatever it may be. When I forget my own misery, I judge someone according to theirs, which is an unhealthy thing to do. But the thing about mercy and the thing about do not judge, do not condemn, and what Jesus is saying here is at the same time, it is not tolerant or dismissive. You have to understand that too. When, when Jesus says do not judge, do not condemn, he says be merciful, what he's saying is not let's be tolerant and dismissive of the misery that maybe we're living in. I, I think this verse gets pulled out of context a lot. I'll talk to unbelievers and believers, and usually the verse people go to is not John 3.16, right? It's not the ones that maybe we talk about a lot in here. It's this one. They're like, the one thing I like about that Jesus guy is that verse, do not judge. I think we could have a little more of that. I'm like, I, yeah, I kind of agree with that, right? I'm like, yeah, he says that. That's cool. Do not condemn. Like, that's what I like about your God or about your Jesus. Or I, I'll even hear that amongst church folks. They're like, I just try not to judge someone else and the lifestyle that they are living, right? And we kind of blanket statement these things. We don't ever consider what is Jesus trying to say inside of this. Is he saying then we can just live however we want and as long as we're kind of doing some of the right things then we're all good and everything's fine and we'll just kind of do life together in that way and I don't think he's saying that. I don't think a judgment-free zone is defined by doing whatever I want but rather a judgment-free zone is lavishing and defined by lavishing mercy. And, and here's the example I'll use. We'll go back to Planet Fitness. I've had a membership there before, right? I've walked in and I've felt welcomed, right? I welcome you. We have one in Barberton here if you're looking for a fitness place, right? But here's the reality. If I were to walk into Planet Fitness, they have trainers, they have some seasoned people that go there, right? And I start to lift. And I start to lift. Just, just maybe I've never lifted before. Maybe I've never had athletics before. I'm just trying this thing out for the first time. And I start to lift and I'm putting some weight on there. And it's like the bench press, right? Or it's maybe the squats. And I got some weight on there and I start doing it. And I start like going like this or I start kind of getting wobbly and trying to do different things like this, right? Can you imagine if someone walked by and be like, yo man, judgment-free zone. You just keep doing you. You just keep hanging out. You just keep doing what you think you should do, right? It's all gonna be fine. And later that day, I break my arm or break my leg because I wasn't lifting right. That'd be silly, a judgment-free zone for the trainers that are there doesn't mean we just kind of let whatever happens happen and we just kind of stand by. No, no, no. A judgment-free zone is a lavishing of mercy. I think oftentimes we can see that situation play out in life. We have someone who's living in misery and they're trying to lift the weight, but they're, they don't have the technique. There's too much weight. It's just not going well. They're doing it all wrong. And we can do one of two things. We can either distance and condemn, or we can address and criticize, right? Can you imagine, like, if I'm lifting like that, and you just got these seasoned people over here, they're like, oh my gosh, can you believe that guy? Guy's a moron, I just can't believe that, right? Or you have the other guy that's like, dude, let me tell you what you're doing. You are a messed up person, right? They come at you, and they're just yelling at you, and they're like, you better start lifting better, and you better start doing this and that, 
I don't think Jesus is telling us to do either of those, but I also don't think he's telling us to stand back and just assume, oh, it's all going to be okay. Mercy would say this, if you keep lifting that way, you'll miss something better, and you're going to hurt yourself. Now, let, me, let me just come up. Can I help you with this? I, I see you have a need. I see that there's something off here. I, I see you're trying to find kind of what to do inside of this place. A judgment-free zone isn't stand off in the distance and kind of look and say, Ugh, or just look and kind of bypass. It is pursuing the misery that that person's in under the bench press or the squats and saying, I have something better. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He sits in our misery and he looks at us and he says, I have something better for you. And if you keep living this way, you are going to hurt yourself. And I have, I have something to offer you. Will you listen to me? Will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me because I died on the cross and rose again and we'll continue to live life together? Right? A judgment-free zone is not tolerance and dismissiveness. It looks more like mercy through listening and loving and understanding and leading out of that. Right? Following Jesus is not follow a bunch of morals and make sure everybody else follows them. It's leading in mercy. Following Jesus is also not minimizing sin, but leading with mercy. It is running into the misery to offer mercy. Why? Because Jesus ran into our misery and offered us mercy. I have no right to tell that person who is lifting that I know what's better because of how I have lived life. I know it's better because the trainer, Jesus, told me there's something better for you. And I get to offer them that. And I get to invite them to something better. Listen, for some of us, right, for some of us, that's real tense. That's real tense because we like to do what we like to do. And following Jesus, right, comes at a cost. But if I trust Jesus with my salvation, then shouldn't I be able to trust him with my lifestyle? And am I okay with a Jesus that might disagree with me at times? And here's the reality. You get down to it, mercy gets messy. It's not always easy. And yet it points me to something better. So the second thing I would write down is this. Following Jesus is merciful. Right? Jesus invites me to follow him in his mercy. Not perfection, not pride, not how good I am. Follow me by experiencing his mercy and extend it. Because the more I experience it, the more I'm going to extend it. The more I extend it, the more I will experience it. The more I experience it, more I'll extend it. As you and I extend it, we will experience his mercy all the more because we will realize the deep need that you and I have for him. Because a judgment-free zone is not, I'm just going to be blind to all the things that are going on out there. I'm just not going to judge. It is actually first seeing my heart. The first thing that you and I need to do is see the mercy that's been lavished onto us. And I love where Jesus takes it. He uses an illustration. This is where he goes in Luke 6, 
41, 42, he would say this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Okay, now listen, this is just an illustration, okay? Right? You and I don't walk around with literal planks, but Jesus is a master at illustrations. He's like, how ridiculous can I make this, right? And when you see this, it seems ridiculous, but just kind of take it to your heart and take it to life. It ain't that ridiculous, right? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, right? The little piece of fuzz that got in your eye and you're just like frustrated by it, right? You've been there, right? You just can't get that thing out. He's like, that speck there, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It begins by recognizing there is a plank in my eye. There is deep-seated sin in my heart. And the only reason that I am saved and can live out of that is because of what Jesus has done for me. And if I'm going to address anything, I better first start with my own heart. If I'm going to help a brother or a sister out with the speck in their eye, I better start by looking at the plank in my own heart, my own eye. Because that is where it often gets really messy in a not-so-healthy way. So when I start addressing everybody else's and I'm not willingly looking at what's going on in my heart and allowing the mercy of God to change me so that I can run into someone else with mercy and offer them something better, offering them Jesus. I love what Paul does in 1 Timothy 1. Um, I was there this week. 1 Timothy 1, it's not on the screen. This is what Paul, who is a seasoned apostle, is writing to a young pastor He says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. In another letter, Paul would run through the litany of different things that would make him in his society, in his religious upbringing, the best. So why is he saying he's the worst here? It's because of the sin that's in his heart. But I love where he goes. He's like, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Why was he shown mercy? Because he was the worst of all sinners. He recognized it, and he ran to Jesus in it. Says the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Listen, if... You and I, as followers of Christ, want to live in a judgmental, non-condemning way. We first have to see the mercy that we need on a daily basis from our Savior and what he's offered to us. I've told you this. I wake up and I'm just angry sometimes, right? I need God's mercy in the morning, right? I need his mercy all day. The reality is this, because if I don't go with his mercy, if I am not filled with his mercy, right, saying yes to him every single day, lavishing inside of the riches of who he is, spending time with him, seeing it, soaking myself in the gospel, I will be empty, and my natural way of living is judgmental and condemning. If I am not merciful, I will be full of something else, myself usually, and that will lead me to do the things that Jesus is telling us not to. But he doesn't just stop there. He says two more things, and then we'll close. He says this, following me is choosing forgiveness. 
I love how Jesus, he like takes all of these, these really intense topics and just shoves them the two verses. Thank you, Jesus, right? There's just so much there. And what I love about this is he would tell us not only the negative things, right? Do not, but he says in place of them, do these things. They following me is choosing forgiveness because I chose to forgave, forgive you. He's on the cross. He says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. The ones that are crucifying him. And then he said, I offer you forgiveness. Now go and do likewise. Listen, listen, it is really hard without the mercy of God in the forefront and positioned in our hearts to forgive someone instead of judge them. Now, family members screwed you over who are at your family table and aren't very nice, who stabbed your back. You got friends, right, who did that thing that we don't speak about anymore, but they're not your friends. You got people in your neighborhood, people at your workplace, people at your school, like students. I think about it. It's real easy to step away from that situation and choose to judge because that's exactly what everybody else said. Well, she's this, or he's that, or I'm done with them, or no way Jose. Jesus would say, if you are full of mercy, it is choosing to forgive instead of judge. It is choosing to lay down your life and to free them from the misery they are in. Whether they respond how you think they're going to respond or not is not the point. Because simultaneously, it will free you to experience more of my mercy. Because the reality is this, I continually forgive you because you continually decide to do things that are not of my will and of my desire. Jesus decided to forgive instead of judge us in that moment. Forgiveness also is not dismissing what happens. I think sometimes we can speak about it, forgiveness is, Hey, just forgive and forget, right? Just forgive and forget. Forgiveness actually best is also addressing what hurts and in addressing that lavishing mercy onto them. Now, is this easy, folks? No. And that's exactly why Jesus is telling us this and telling us to run into his mercy. But secondly, following him, following me, following Jesus is choosing generosity. This one is interesting to me. In our world, we tend to choose to be generous to those who will be generous back. That is my human nature. I would choose to be generous to those that have given me a reason to be generous to them. And I choose to judge those that I think will use my generosity in a not so healthy or poor way. Or I will not be generous because it's not worth my time. Or I'll not be generous because my energy isn't best put towards that person who I don't get along with or who stabbed me in the back or who this or who that or they're not in the same socioeconomic or they don't live right next door or being generous to those that can't pay you anything back is a Jesus thing. And it's a thing where ultimately judgment and condemnation can get in the way of. 
I won't be generous. And yet the Savior of the world was generous towards us. Judgment-free and merciful is being generous without expecting something in return. Without expecting some pat on the back, without expecting that they're going to clean themselves up right away and they're going to do everything that we want them to do. Because he was generous towards us when we were at the lowest of the lows. And he offered us something better. I guarantee this, we all at points go back to what we thought was better in the beginning. So as the worship team comes up, are you living in a judgment-free zone? Listen, some of us, we think about others when I say that. The application today is not for the other people. It is for you. It is for me. Don't think about Aunt Susie, who you'll see on Mother's Day. Don't think about the kids at school that you run into in the halls. Don't think about the coworkers. And if they are providing a judgment-free zone for you, they probably aren't. Let's just get it out there. But are you living in a judgment-free zone that is full of mercy towards them? Judgment, condemnation is expected in our world. Right? I'm not saying that there can't be determinations between right and wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have courts of law. I'm not saying there shouldn't be laws. No, 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 no. But often, where my heart is, is I choose judgment and condemnation before I choose mercy. I will put on someone what may not be true. I will put on someone what might not be the full picture. I will make a determination of their hearts before I ever see their hearts. For some of us, it is saying yes to Jesus because we got to see his heart for the first time today. His heart is full of mercy, grace, and compassion, and he boldly addresses the misery that you and I are in and offers us his life. He says, have faith. I forgive you. I will continue to forgive you. And I want you to continue to follow me in that. And for some of us, it's saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Embracing the mercy and the grace that God's given us through Jesus, living the life that you and I cannot live, dying the death that we deserved, and rising again. Because unless you've experienced the mercy of God, you and I will be grappling for the rest of our lives with how to extend mercy and grace and goodness to others. But for some of us, we're saying yes to him for the first time. For, for others, for others who around you needs to experience a merciful experience. Who are you currently judging, condemning, pushing to the side? What's the point? They'll never receive it. They'll never be around. It's not worth it. They're too much of a mess. They're too much in their misery. Start to do that. Start to get into scary territory. Who around you 
is God opening your heart and your eyes to, to extend mercy. It starts by looking at your own heart. It continues by opening up to God's heart. And then it takes place as you walk day to day in circles that you walk and choosing to think of the best instead of the worst, choosing to run in when it's uncomfortable, choosing to forgive even though they probably won't respond the way that you think they should respond, choosing to not bypass them anymore but actually ask them how they're doing. And then what if God would open up an opportunity for you to share the mercy that he's lavished onto you through Jesus? Because I guarantee this, there's a lot of people in our world that have never experienced mercy for what it actually is. Maybe good deeds, maybe a pat on the back, maybe some money here, but mercy, mercy that gets down on the ground and says, I want to sit with you for a minute. Mercy that looks at the person serving you, the barista, whoever it may be, and asking them how you're doing and actually caring about their life. Mercy looking at the neighbors, not just as people that live in the kingdoms next door, but people that you get to do life with and maybe, maybe are living in their own misery, not by their choice. Where's Jesus leading you with this? We don't usually do this, but I'm going to extend this invitation. I usually stand in the back during the last song, and I stand outside if it's not raining. And if you either want to say yes to Jesus or you just need someone to process a relationship through, I'll stand back there and talk with you. There's others around that you might feel more comfortable with, right? Other staff members, Ken and Catherine here, Steve and Lisa somewhere in the audience are back there. We've got other staff. That's fine. This is a heavy hitter because if we don't understand the mercy of God, we miss the gospel. We miss the gospel. And what we're doing here is just some religious activity that we get a lot of hoorah around. Mercy of God allows us to be here and it motivates me running into the messiest of the messiest. So Father, as we go into this last song, would you wreck our hearts Father, who, who ran out to meet us when we came running back home. Father, who stays awake at night, quote-unquote, yearning for us to be in relationship with you. Father, who sent your only son to take our place, not to condemn. Father, who wants better for us, not in and of ourselves, but through Jesus. Father, who sees our misery, knows what's going on, knows what's happening, and yet still yearns for us to be with you. Father, you don't just desire that for us, but you desire that for our community and beyond. There's some 16,000 that sit in our community that do not know Jesus, would say they're religiously unaffiliated. For whatever reason, Father, would you wreck our hearts for them? They are not just some this and that and push them to the wayside. They are hearts that need you. Would you wreck our hearts so that we would be moved into the spaces where you want us to do your work and make disciples, Father? Make this about yourself, not about us. Father, we're grateful that you love us so much that you would lay down your life for us. 
So as we sing this last song, Father, would you make it very apparent where this plays out in our life? Spirit, we ask that you cover all this room. Pray this in your name. Amen. You can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day.